already been arranged? Get your Bibles. All right, just everybody get your Bibles. First Thessalonians chapter 4. That's where we're going to start. We're going to be all over the place this morning in the Word of God. First uh, Thessalonians chapter 4 is where we're beginning. Uh, if you didn't bring a Bible, we want you to have one in your hands. You'll see under the chair in front of you is a Bible. Grab that Bible so you can follow along in the Word of God for yourself. First Thessalonians chapter 4, nine, page 987 in that Bible if you don't have one for yourself. This morning, I'm going to pray, and we are going to ask for God's goodness to be here with us and to help me walk. Let's pray. Jesus, uh, we, you're the faithful one, and it's your word that we're coming to receive. It's not just a sermon, and it's not just about singing a song. We're, we have come here as a people to receive your word. Jesus, you have the words of life. We acknowledge and need you and your presence and your spirit to lead us. And so show us what's in your heart. Show us what you're like and show us your truth, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so we are continuing this morning this series called All the Feels, in which we're delving into those emotions that every one of us have at different points in time in our lives. And so this morning is our opportunity to dive into the emotion of sadness and grief, which is the funnest thing to preach on all the time, right? Um, no, when you think about this, nobody really relishes the idea of talking about sadness or thinking about sadness. In fact, I think it's probably the one emotion of all the different emotions that we do experience that we try to push off more than any other one. In fact, you can think about anger. Sometimes it feels good to be angry. And even issues of guilt and shame, we'll start to identify in guilt and shame. That's coming in a couple of weeks. We're going to be talking about guilt and shame. But we can find ourselves identifying with different emotions in different ways. But the, the, the emotion of sadness is one that we tend to push off the most, and yet it's one of the most powerful emotions that any of us really experience. And so the Lord has a lot to say ab about it. In fact, this, this issue of sadness, because everyone universally experiences sadness or grief at some point in time in their life, it's really important to know how, to un how God sees it and how to understand it in our own lives. And I'm even thinking back, listen, I don't have a great memory. I try to think back on different times in my life. And when I, th I, you know, I'm just categorically bad at remembering things. I will, I'll, I'll be talking with my wife about stuff. And she's talking about all these experiences, like this stuff that's happened with our kids or things that we've done. And, and she's, she can remember like every little detail of like what was going on in our kids' lives, you know, as we were having babies and all this other stuff. And, and I'm like, I'm trying to think about like having kids and, and growing them. I can remember like, yeah, I remember, yeah, I remember we had the kid and, and, the, and they were just chubby and that, and and it was sweet. And that's like, that's all I, and I can't, but I, I don't do good at remembering details. So when I try to remember back on things, it's sometimes things are really fuzzy. But what I know oftentimes when I think back, I can, the, the emotion of sadness, I can think about, I actually have a memory going back to first grade. First grade. I was like, I was, I was ruling my school in first grade. I'm going to be honest with you. I was rocking it in first grade. 
I was really feeling it. Pretty awesome kid. And uh, I had a good situation. I had a good setup because I was sitting at a desk. And on one side was my best buddy. And on the other side was the girl I was interested in. <laughs> As a first grader, I know I had problems. And so, I, and I just remember thinking, like, I'm at, I'm at this maximum awesome space here to be able to crack jokes and be funny and be kind of cool for Bethany over here. And then just, and just, I remember having, and I remember just being awesome. And then midway through the year, the teacher changed the seating arrangement right at Christmas time. <laughs> and I kid you not, I have a, I can't remember any, almost anything else, but I, I remember first grade, the, about the only memory I have of first grade, I'm in my room late at night, time to go to bed, lights are off and we have a little Christmas tree with little colored lights. And I'm like weeping and crying because she changed the seating arrangement in first grade. I'm sad. And I'm seeing, I, I, can, I can see the Christmas tree lights like through my tears. I see it. I'm like, I'm feeling this thing like I was ruling the world with the seating arrangement and I can no longer rule it now. And I, but I felt that sadness. And I remember that emotion and that experience. These are real things that we have. These are real emotions that we have. And there's a way for us to process this thing called sadness and grief. And at, in fact, our spiritual health and our strength are actually tied to our ability to grieve. And what we're going to see through the word is that grief is an important part of our spiritual formation. It's a, an important part of where God wants to enter into our lives. You know, Jesus is teaching what is widely known as the greatest sermon of all time, called the Sermon on the Mount. And he's turning the whole world upside down, right? The kingdom of God is an upside down kingdom. And he's, he's saying things and declaring things that the people have never heard before. In fact, to this day are so radically countercultural. And Jesus makes this amazing statement that you almost can't even begin to get your head around. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 4, he says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn. So Jesus is looking with clarity into the eyes of thousands of people to be able to say, your life, you will be blessed if you will be willing to mourn. And the promise from your mourning is I'm going to bring you comfort. But as you look at the term actually blessed, what he's saying is, you, you're going to do well. In fact, you will have gladness or happiness. You will be happy or glad if you're a person who mourns. Now, when we think of happiness and mourning, those two feel like totally diametrically opposed, not in the kingdom. What Jesus is going to say is enter into the mourning because there is comfort from a king that is coming there's a blessing that will come if you're willing to embrace and understand and know the goodness and the comfort and the kindness of God in the midst of our sadness. And that as we trust him, there is a hope that's going to arise from that place of mourning. You look there in your Bible at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. 
This is a, a, a scripture often, uh, as I've had an opportunity to partner with many families during funerals, to be able to sit in and try to understand the emotion that you're walking through. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, this is Paul writing to a church in the city of Thessalonica, and here's what he says. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. He's speaking of those who have passed away. That you may not grieve as others who... Uh, as others do who have no hope. So with clarity, Paul is not saying you shouldn't grieve. If you're a person of faith, there should be no grieving in your life. That's not what Paul is saying. What he's actually saying is as you enter into the season or moment or a place of grieving, We're going to grieve, but we as followers of Jesus don't have to grieve apart from a place of hope or without hope. We can grieve, but we're going to do our grieving with the glimmer of hope. How do we do that? Look in verse 14. For since we believe that Jesus died and he rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command and with the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God, which we just so beautifully sang. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up in the air together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So what what Paul is doing is pointing to the reality that we will see grief and sadness. There is that experience of loss will be common to the human experience, but we don't have to go without a spirit of hope. That God is providing a way for us to have a light, if you will, at the end of the, t- the tunnel. We know that loss is inevitable, but hopeful grieving is the choice that's being put in front of us, right? Because when we experience loss, We have to choose then how we begin to process what's in front of us. And many of us choose not to grieve. We choose not to go. We think or feel that either grieving is an expression of a lack of faith or that sadness is a lack of trust or that uh, it's it's an expression of, uh, of weakness. And ultimately in our culture, because this issue, because it arises in a way that we feel like it's somehow weakness or wrong or a lack of faith, then we tend to push it off. And when we refuse to grieve, we do so at our own detriment. We do so at our own peril. I can think on, you know, you go through life and you have different experiences. One of the heaviest maybe the hardest experiences my wife and I have ever had the, if you will, opportunity or the moment to walk through. We, um, 
we have, we have four kids. We love our kiddos. They're amazing. With our, you know, during the pregnancy of our third child, my wife had a, a, a sense, if you will, that, that she, in fact, what I would say is she actually had a dream. And since that this pregnancy might be leading to twins, and she kind of continued to have the sense, and so she journaled about it. And we'd talk about it, and I re- honestly, I remember thinking, that's kind of crazy talk because we don't have uh, twins in my family history. She doesn't have twins in my family history. And, and I kind of was just thinking, I think this is just wishful thinking because my wife just loves babies. It's like her favorite thing in the world was having babies. And in fact, if, if it weren't for me, we'd have about... 12 by now, all right? And I, just, just being candid, we, we joke all the time. It's like, if I didn't say, hey, no, then, uh, I mean, we just keep having kids because my wife treasured it so much. So when she's thinking, I really think that, that there's something with twins with this pregnancy. She hadn't had that for our first two pregnancies. She felt this way with the other. And I just thought like, man, you just like babies. And, but, they, but there was something more to it. And so there was actually even a sense of joy and hopefulness as we were walking through that. And of course, <laughs> as, a, as a father, I was thinking, Twins, okay, that's, that takes some work and dollars, you know, just as you think through that, right? And you guys, anyone that's had twins, you know this, right? And so as we came, so we, we come to our time to just uh, sit down with the doctor and find out what's going on with this pregnancy, and we're in uh, the, the room, and the, do- the doctor comes and begins to, to scan uh, my wife's belly, and uh, and in a moment, the doctor says, hey, there's not one, there's two. And, and I'm just honest. I, I'm, I can't believe it. I, I really can't. For, for this moment, I'm, I'm stunned because the Lord had told, essentially, the Lord told my wife we were going to have twins. And, and there's emotion arises of excitement and then within 10 seconds, the doctor says, wait a minute, and begins to tell us that one of those twins has passed, doesn't have a heartbeat. And I can't even begin to describe to you, and many of you have probably experienced this, the weight of joy, like extreme joy, and then falling to a place of extreme sadness. And I just remember holding my wife, trying to catch our breath and understand this moment. And there's so many questions right in that moment of sadness that you have where you begin to wonder, Lord, why? Why would you even speak about this twin? Or why would you even maybe, why would we have this joy that was, increasing in our heart as we're thinking about the idea of even having something like that in our family. What are, you have, and you're wrestling through all of these questions and then you experience this loss. That loss that many of us experience. And in that moment, you can go a couple of different ways. And one of those ways is to try to press the thing off and not begin to think about it. Or you can just go in and grieve. And just receive and just go, Lord, this hurts. We don't understand. And I can tell you, really at the time, it was just emotionally walking through it. My wife was 
unbelievable in going through that. And I'll, I'll just be really candid as, as the husband. I'm, I'm feeling this in some way, but for my wife, feeling that, for that, that life that was inside of her. That was a, that's a weighty thing to feel. And we went through a process of grieving. At loss and death and tragedy and trouble, all of these things are actually inevitable. It doesn't matter how much science or technology advances. No matter how great, it doesn't matter really how great our economy is doing. It doesn't really matter what's happening in life. We can all face these moments of grief. And there's a decision we have to make. There's a biblical, healthy way to respond to these moments. And there are, there are ways to not respond. There's a ways that we respond that push away the directive of the Lord to us. A couple of things that we tend to do when we're, when we're in the face of grieving or sadness is um, these ideas called repression or suppression. And what we'll do is often is repression is when we unconsciously try to block painful memories from our mind. Right? We unconsciously are trying to block things. We're not trying to. We unconsciously block things away that have been really hurtful or painful. Suppression is when we consciously try to block painful memories. Where something painful, a loss we've experienced has happened and we begin to try to push it away rather than enter into that place of pain. I remember um, uh, I was, this is almost the most random thing I can even possibly remember happening to me, but I was, we were, we were literally in a car with my wife and this thought, this thought came to my mind. There was a moment when I was a child, I had a friend that took advantage of me. And for 25 years, had not been in my mind at all. I had, it had never crossed my mind, not once. And out of nowhere, this thing came to my mind and I remembered it. And I just, I, I began to share with my wife. My wife to this day is the only person that knows that this thing that took place in my life. And I just began to share. She had to just begin praying over me. Because when we'll experience these places of hardship or sadness or loss, there's this tendency to want to make the discomfort go away. And yet we have a God of the universe saying, this sadness is meant to pull you in to this place near to me. But you've got to be willing to acknowledge it and see it, to call it what it is to say the loss is a loss or to say I'm really hurt or I'm really disappointed or even I'm really angry. And those are some other emotions we're going to get to as we do this series. But those feelings of repression or suppression often arise trying to put the thing away rather than allowing our heart to grieve. The sadness is meant to bring us to this place, right? That the only healthy response to loss, no matter what the loss is, whether it's through a death or loss of a relationship or loss of a job or loss of your health or even the feeling of a loss of innocence or loss in your finances, the only actual healthy response is to grieve, meaning we don't get past our sorrow without going through our sorrow. And you can throw that up on the screen. We're not going to get past our sorrow until we go through it. Meaning that if God has beautiful promises on the other side of our sorrow, 
If God has goodness, if he will, as, the, as Jesus with his own words said, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. If, if there is comfort on the other side, it means we've got to be willing to mourn and go through it and to enter into it. He showed us that. Jesus himself showed us that, right? If you know the story of his friend Lazarus who dies, and four days later, Jesus shows up. He's aware that Lazarus is sick, but Lazarus passes away. He shows up four days into the seven days of, uh, Jew the Jewish people had a seven-day window of mourning. And John chapter 11 is really clear. Jesus goes without question four days into his death for the purpose of raising Lazarus from the dead. He knows exactly what he's going to do. He's going to raise, he's going to call Lazarus out of the grave. And yet, in John chapter 11, verse 34, Jesus makes this, does this incredible thing where he says, where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And then in the shortest scripture in all of the English Bible, verse 35 says, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. Not just teary-eyed or trying to choke back the single tear, but sobbing, weeping. Wept here, knowing the future, knowing full well how this thing was going to come about. But just like on that sixth day of creation, he's going to speak this word and life is going to come from the dust. We see Jesus entering into the moment with his friends, weeping and feeling the weight of the emotion of the moment. I think it's so powerful, the most righteous, perfect, manly, godly human that ever lived is in this moment of weeping. It's not an expression of weakness. Luke chapter 19, verse 41, Jesus is walking the triumphant. He's triumphantly coming in on his way to going to the cross. Verse 41, and when he drew near in Jerusalem, he saw the city and he wept over it. Jesus seeing the city, seeing the people. He says he wept over it because he saw that they were like sheep without a shepherd, meaning his heart of compassion. He felt a sadness for the people scurrying around with no leader. And he lamented in his heart that they would have a shepherd to cover them. Jesus weeps. Why does he weep? Because God designed us to. He designed us to go to that place. Why? Because that's what God does. That's what God does. Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, the Lord saw how great man's wickedness on the earth had become and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. And the Lord was grieved that he had made man on the earth and his heart was filled with pain. So just capture this for the moment, the God of the universe experiencing this emotion of grief and sadness and pain, right? God creating you and I in his image to fully reflect his glory and to be an expression of all his goodness. And then it's broken and lost, the sense of loss. These 
people that were meant to fully receive the love of God and to fully reciprocate that love. And the thing is broken and lost. And there's a grieving that's going on in the heart of God at that loss. And the tendency is to think that when we're going through losses in life, that maybe God is aloof and that he's standing off in a distance and that he's disconnected or unaffected or he's waiting for us to get our, ourselves together so that we can get back on this faith journey. That if you could go ahead and pull yourself up out of your sadness so we can go ahead and move on in life. And there's this tendency, I think, even that has maybe even in the church that it's wrong to be sad and that we don't see anything actually in the scripture calling us to that. In fact, in fact, I think we see the exact opposite. That's what we see. God isn't dis disgusted with our weakness. He isn't wondering when are we just going to buck up and get over it you won't find anywhere in the scripture where it says real men don't cry. I don't care what the bumper sticker says. It's not, it's not in God's heart. And the truth is he not only calls us to be a people who grieve, but he actually enters into our grief. Psalm 34, the Lord is near. He's near to the brokenhearted and he saves the crushed in spirit. You want to hear the motivation of God when we find ourselves in a place of sadness is that he wants to come right into it, be right ne up next to it. He's present in our grief when we draw near to him, when we have loss, when we need to have courage to be able to trust. In fact, we'll see throughout the scripture there's actually an encouragement to lament, to, to say that thing out loud, right? Lamenting is that passionate expression of grief to God. I, I'm crying out to God, right? I may, I may go out in the middle of nowhere and be able to, to shout and say the things that are going on inside of me to God. Maybe I weep, maybe I yell, maybe I question, maybe I struggle, but I'm being honest with the Lord about my emotions. And we tend to maybe think that, well, that sounds sinful to go if you're yelling and screaming, as you're trying to talk to God about your emotions, it feels a little bit sinful. But that's actually not true, not according to the word, because actually complaining to God is an act of worship. I want you to hear that. Complaining, bringing your stuff to God is worship. Now, complaining about God is where we sin. And there's a lot of that that can take place, right? Right? That's the easiest thing to do often when we're looking to blame someone in the middle of our sadness. As we can complain about God, and that's where we get broken, but complaining to him and being real to him with our emotions. That's what we see all throughout the scripture. It's okay to struggle with God and ask the questions in the grief, right? The book of Psalms, right? The, the centerpiece of worship, if you will, from the word of God. Psalms, 150 different songs of worship, varying expressions of praise and honor. 65 of the 150 Psalms, 40% of this book of the Bible calling, God, calling people to a place of worship are people struggling with God, 
questioning, wrestling with God in their loss. 40% calling out. But when they took their emotion to God, they begin to see hope. They begin to see his goodness. There's actually an entire book of the Bible that's written with the issue of groups called Lamentations. It's a, it's a book of lamenting. It's actually the prophet Jeremiah seeing the destruction of Jerusalem. He'd been prophesying about it for 50 years. You imagine speaking of something for 50 years and then seeing it take place and the lamenting that's coming forward from those, from that, from that place. Lamentations chapter three. I just want you to hear some of the words so we can get it and then we're gonna get a chance just to respond beautifully to the Lord. Lamentations three, verse two. God has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Feel the emotion? Lamentations three, seven. He was Uh, He has walled me about so that I cannot escape. He has made my chains heavy. Though I call and cry for help, he stunts, shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with blocks of stones. He's made my paths crooked, right? This is why you love the word of God. This is why the Bible is so beautiful, because in it are humans being honest about their lives. I think what's so amazing is somehow... The church has been painted as to have to be this beautiful people that have everything figured out and we're all okay and we show up on Sunday and, and, and we have our smiles on our faces, acting like everything's okay when in many ways and in many times they're not okay and we're afraid to let people in on that place in our lives. And yet we'll see here the scripture giving a moment to lament and to grieve and to be able to be honest about the thing that's actually going on because going through it is the place of healing and wholeness. Allowing ourselves to grieve, to feel our sadness, that's the path to wholeness and to being able to receive and hear the truth, right? When we lament, the promise is God says, I will meet you. I will meet you in that place. I will bring comfort to you. You know, you've got in Lamentations, you've got five, these five chapters going on and on and on about the disappointment, the prophet's feeling, and right in the middle of it, Lamentations chapter three, you have these incredible verses. It's, into, it's possible you've sung these before or they're in your house somewhere. But this I call to mind, Lamentations chapter 3, verse 21, but this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will, what? What's the word? I'll hope in him. Today looks dark, but I'm believing him for another day. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It's good that the one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. There it is, grief, but with hope. We grieve with hope because we know grief is for a season. 
If you are in Christ today, if you are a follower of Jesus, you might be walking through some of the hardest pain. You might even today be walking through some of the most difficult circumstances you've ever had to walk through in your life. Here is what you have. The guarantee of the Father, this is the darkest it will be for you have light coming for you. The promises you will be received with joy and all of your sorrows will be gone. There is coming a day where there will be no more tears. There is coming a day where the fullness of joy will be on display. It is the guarantee of the king of the universe. And so the encouragement is, is enter into the whatever season it is with hope. Ecclesiastes 3, there's a time for everything, a time, a season for every activity under heaven, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. And so God in his comfort and grace, God through his people will get us through this place to a place of health and strength. I know that it, there's a saying that goes, time heals all wounds. I don't, I honestly, I don't, I don't think you can just lay your foundation and your hope on time. And while it might be helpful to get away from an experience, I think the place for healing of wounds is bringing all of it to the Lord. He's the healer. He's the one who meets us in it. And I'm thankful for time, but that's not our rock. The rock is the king. He wants to meet us there. And we're able to grieve with hope because we know that he's always working for our good. And I want to, that's often said very tritely in churches because the scripture's not saying, in fact, Romans 8, 28, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So the promise is not that God makes all the bad things good. Bad things are bad. Loss is loss. What he's saying is that in it, God is working for our good. We may not understand it. We may not even be able to get our brains around whatever we might be walking through, how it might be for our good, but we have an ironclad promise. We can grieve with hope because he is working for our good. We grieve with hope because we know that this world, this hour that we're here, is not all there is. There's a beautiful day coming. And as we sang, there's going to be a trumpet that's going to sound as the scripture talks about. There's going to be an archangel is going to shout and the heavens are going to split open and Jesus is going to finish what he started without question. And healing's going to be complete and the only scars in all of heaven are the ones in the hands of the king who took our punishment so we could be totally alive and free. I can guarantee you this. I don't know why we didn't get to have twins in that moment on this, on this side, but I know this. And this is the anchor that we have had and that my wife has lived in, is that we have a joy coming for us 
on this, on the other side of this life, a total introduction to, the, to a powerful, beautiful addition of the Robertson family. And we don't know if it was a boy or a girl. All we know is that it is maximum joy in that moment. It feels like it would have been great joy to have them here with us. But God had a better plan, and there is going to be a joy that we cannot even imagine on that day. That is the hope we have in Christ. We grieve with hope. We walk in this life being honest with our stuff before the Lord, believing there's a better day coming. God has, listen, it's sewed up. It's, it's ironclad. It's locked down. The fullness of joy. Every one of it. If you call on the name of Jesus, you get the fullness of hope. If you turn your back on Jesus, this is as good as it gets. Listen, I want you to hear this with clarity. For those that choose to walk away or turn their backs from Jesus, this life is as good as it will ever be. For all that are in Christ, this life is as bad as it will ever be. And you've got hope beyond hope. Joy beyond joy that we cannot even begin to see. I'm going to ask our team to come up. We're just going to finish here. And there's so, many, there's so many incredible things that are awaiting for us. But listen, the most incredible of all the things that are awaiting for us is just him, right? Just Jesus. <clears throat> Revelation says this, that Jesus himself is lighting up the city, right? There's no sun, there's no sun or moon trying to keep things bright. That all of heaven is lit up by the Son of God. It is the taste that God wants us to have, each, each one of us. So can we just begin to say, it's okay for us to walk through the valleys of life and grieve. In fact, it's not okay, it's a call. Because there's a day coming that's beautiful and powerful. So I'm just gonna pray. Oh, we're gonna pray and then we're just gonna finish uh, singing again and having a chance just for our hearts to respond. Would you guys pray with me? In fact, if you would just you can put all your stuff down, I'm going to ask that you just bow your head and close your eyes. Lord, we just want to be with you in this moment. You are our hope. You alone. You are the sole author of joy. You're the one who promises gladness. We can be in the midst of the deepest sorrows and your promise is to come in and meet. you show us who you are and you reveal who you are and you show us your kindness and you dignify our pain and our hurt 
And I thank you, God, that that's who you are and that's what you do. And your promises is that you will not leave us there, but that you'll take us on that full journey. That wholeness and healing are a part of what you have for everyone that will trust you. So we just thank you. Thank you. So I'm praying, I just, uh, what I want to do is I want to just pray for a couple of different individuals. And so I'm asking that you just honor. Heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. This is just between you and the Lord. It's not even for me. This is really just between you and the Lord. But if you are right now, what feels like in a place of heaviness and sadness. And you find yourself in the middle of that season. I just want to have an opportunity to pray over you. If that's you, heads are bowed, eyes are closed. If that's you, would you just shoot your hand up and say, I'm in that moment. This is the moment I'm walking in that. And just be honest with the Lord.
Father, I thank you that it's an act of worship to bring our hurts or disappointments to you. And I thank you that you receive us, that you don't push us, you don't stay at a distance, you don't demean or speak against, but you come in to heal and make whole. I thank you that not one person in this room has to remain in a place of sadness, but Lord, I thank you that you also meet us in it. be able to make that declaration to the Lord one more time, that even in the midst of grief and sorrow, in fact, we're, we'll sing very, you know, in the midst of sorrows as they're rolling like a sea over us, that God, you've taught us that you come into that place and that our soul is well, not because of our circumstances, but because you're with us in it and we can come to you in it. Let's make that declaration in worship and then we'll dismiss this morning.